Welcome to Neural Net News, where we try and bring you the latest updates in AI. I'm your host, Eric Wesselin, and today with me is David Smith, entrepreneur, investor, crypto guy, and the leader of the Lansing AI Meetup. Welcome, David. Thanks, Eric. Excited to be here. Yeah, we got a lot to talk about. The biggest topic, let's just jump right into it. The shakeup at OpenAI and Return of the King now, as of a few hours ago. <laughs> Sam Altman was fired from his job as CEO of OpenAI on Friday at noon last week. And a few hours ago, was just reinstated as the CEO. I mean, do we want to maybe just break down a play-by-play -play of what happened over the last four and a half, five days? Yeah, I think that's a, I think that's a good idea, Eric. You want to you go through it? Yeah, yeah. So, so Sam Altman, co-founder, CEO, board member of OpenAI, was basically told to join a, a Google Meet invite at 12 or 12.30 Pacific time on Friday, where he was informed that he was let go. And Greg Brockman, also on the board, was fired subsequently. And the reason the board gave was a lack of consistent candor. And the, the weirdest thing about all this is that no one heads up was given to Microsoft or any of the lead investors in OpenAI. And that just kind of set the entire Twitter sphere or X sphere as it is now on fire. And then from there, things happened very rapidly. Mira Murati was placed as interim CEO. So she was, she's the CTO and then posted on X that she's working to get Sam back. And then 24 hours later, Sam says he's committed to Microsoft and he's going to head up their AI research division. Satya, the CEO of Microsoft is supportive of Sam. Uh, <laughs> The board of OpenAI hires Emmett Shear, co-founder of Twitch, to be the new CEO. And this is all happening in, in hours, one after the other. Yeah, I think everyone's really glued to Twitter for the weekend. Yeah. <laughs> he joins. He says he wants an explanation from the board. He says he'll quit, quit if he's not given a reason. And then over the weekend, things quieted down a little bit. And then last night, it, it's announced that people on the board are stepping down. Sam is returning as CEO. I also forgot to mention that almost all 770 employees signed a letter of support and threatened to resign uh, if Sam was not reinstated. So that must have held some weight because the the board there's there's quite a shakeup happening. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty interesting to think you know what do you even have if you you know your lead investor and I think maybe they had a lot of the hardware. All your employees they're all threatening to leave the company. You know what is the, what would the board have been left with? Yeah. And I, I, the craziest thing to me is that like it, it obviously was a major faux pas, like this, this whole firing, it was not handled well, the optics were terrible. And then now the board has just basically walked back the decision. And it, it certainly seems like there is a bit of a schism on the board like that. There's, there's no doubt about that. I think part of this goes back to the governance structure, like open AI at its core is a nonprofit but it's a nonprofit with tens of billions of dollars in investments that is making billions of dollars in consumer and, and B2B offerings. And, and I, I think that's probably at the core of what's happening here is that the, the nonprofit components of the board are, are really pushing back on the way Sam has been operating uh, the whole of OpenAI as a for-profit uh, center. I think you're right on there, Eric. I think it's this, this weird structure with this nonprofit that's 
<laughs> one of the you know fastest growing tech companies on the planet. And I think it makes it really weird where you know people who who are taking high risk want to have high reward. You know these these people uh, I've read you know instead of getting stock options like they would at a traditional company, they're they're getting some kind of weird you know profit sharing unit or or something like that. And I don't know anybody who's really, you know, dove into these structures and said, you know, how does this work? And all the, like you said, you know, shenanigans and machinations that they're working through to make it operate essentially like a regular startup when it's this nonprofit. And on Friday, when I got that news, I think Bing, uh, Bing News, you know, the first super interesting piece of news it's given me, I think it was at like 4.02 PM. And, uh, you know, I texted my partner, Julie. I, I was like, whoa, I thought for sure it was gonna be some scandal. You know, some kind of, you know, fraud or, you know, personal, you know, some some kind of criminal something. Just a real, a real shock to have one of the most Im most impressive entrepreneurs of our time at the most one of the most impressive companies at our time. Maybe one of the most historically significant companies seemingly at the height of of doing well right after they had their recent dev day. And then he gets fired. It's like, whoa, what the heck? Something must be really wrong here. Yeah. So I think if we start to like pick up, like peel back some of the layers as to what was happening on the board. So Toner is one of the, she published a, a paper saying that what the company was doing was effectively dangerous. And I, th I think that like she was reprimanded by Altman and they had a huge disagreement over that. So I, I feel like that that must have played a part in all of this. They're not going to say that explicitly. Um, and, but I, I think that comes down to like the lack of candor between Sam and the rest of the board, or at least part of the board. And another interesting fact on all this is that law enforcement has gotten involved. They've reached out to the board to try and figure out like, Oh, you're, you're claiming there's been impropriety or lack of candor, whatever that means. Can you point us to some explanation or some definitions of that or examples of that? And they're coming up empty handed, it sounds like. So it's it's kind of it's been a bit of a circus. Yeah, I've heard that all the uh, employees there were going to be able to sell shares. You know, again, it's weird with the, with the nonprofit for profit, who knows what. But I think they're going to do another uh, another financing round at like 86 billion, and that the employees are going to be able to sell, you know, probably billions of dollars worth of shares. You know, the 700 750 employees there, and so just imagine that you're an employee and you think you're about to, you know, have millions of dollars of sales coming up and whatever you're going to do with that, and then and then your CEO gets fired on Monday and the, or on Friday and the deal's off. That'd probably be scary. And scary to be, you know, a partner of the organization at Microsoft if you're building your startup on. On ChatGPT, you know, I myself was disappointed when I heard it because I, I love ChatGPT. I use it every day. And I was thinking this is really going to slow it down. And, you know, I have to look for a, you know, alternative or, you know, the impact of what the decision that the board made on Friday on a global scale is is really shocking. Yeah. And and <laughs> the fact that it was walked back so quickly and and the timing is, is really crazy, too, because it's right on the heels of the OpenAI Dev Day. And there are a ton of announcements that that had some pretty huge implications, like the prospect of revenue sharing for user created GPTs. The fact that user GPT user created GPTs are a thing is incredible. I've created a few so far, and have just the, the whole user experience has been great. The decrease in pricing, and then 
<laughs> the subsequent restricting of signups because they're just they're not able to handle the demand at the moment. I know several times in the last 24 hours I've been trying to use ChatGPT and it just it's like, yep, sorry, we're too busy. Yeah, I had that happen yesterday. Yeah, I just couldn't use it for I don't know, went to bed, <laughs> but I couldn't use it for some period of time. <laughs> Eric, what, what do you what do you think about that? They're they're restricting new signups. You know, you've you've worked at a number of startups. Have there been any times in your life where you were like, hey, hey, hold on, we're not going to let new people sign up? Have you ever have you ever done that? So, when I've been working in in particular startups, we were kind of a, a lot of their systems are automated. There's no need for human intervention. The only time I've ever had to kind of slow down on growth was when we were expanding to new geographies, and we don't have boots on the ground because we were. I was working on a startup that was doing. Uh, it was working in the live event space. And so we had to work with venue hosts and just not being able to to expand at the rate that we wanted to uh, because we didn't have the people to handle that. This, I think, is absolutely constrained by by hardware. I mean, and and the hardware costs partially, but I mean, the availability of GPUs is really what is, I think, the limiting factor in all this. Yeah. Well, it reminds me, you know, the Twitter, the Twitter fail well, but I don't think Twitter ever restricted signups because that, like, that's the, like the number one thing that you want is signups. Right. So I just, I just wonder about, you know, what, what they were thinking when they're making that decision. Cause you know, you, you could have different tiers they've only got the, like the $20 a month tier. And then I think they have the free tier, you know, if it was, if it was my company, maybe, maybe I'd think about turning off the free tier or substantially restricting the free tier to like, I don't know, 10 queries a day or something and trying to push people into that paid tier or something like that. Or, or maybe it makes sense to keep that free tier so you can keep, you know, keep expanding. You know, another thing too would be to throttle, you know, paying users, but, you know, then they can get turned off by the service. But, you know, what an, what an interesting problem. Yeah. I, I, if anything, I think they should be throttling free users, not the paying users, but yeah. <laughs> Great. <laughs> yeah, it would be interesting I, to see a, a breakdown of, you, you know, the amount of compute that they have and what percentage they allocate to paid users versus free users. Yeah, that, that would be really interesting. I mean, here's the thing. Us paying users are probably using 10, 100x more resources than free <laughs> users. Let's be real about this. Yeah, especially with the image generation. You know, I find if their image generation was better, I would use it probably, I think this morning I maybe I generated, I don't know, 50 images or something like that, and, and none of them are good. But if it would just give me a good one out, <laughs> out of the gate, I would have you know, generated one, you know, one maybe five images. Because yeah, who just wants to generate one when you've got AI? Might as well do five and then pick one. Yeah, I think I think what's going to happen, and I'm probably going to start exploring this today, is looking at alternatives. I know Anthropic just announced Claude 2.1, and I mean it's been a pretty pretty awesome announcement. Um, they're have, they're offering now larger context support, so 150,000 words. I mean that is that is huge. You can throw. <laughs> You can throw throw books at this thing and and it'll kind of turn it through them. And then also it's claiming to be twice twice as truthful with fewer hallucinations. And they also have a new improved developer experience. So I mean, if you're not able to get access to ChatGPT, I think Anthropic would be more than happy to have you over working with Claude 2.1. Yeah, I haven't really used Claude much. I think it have a Slack integration that maybe I tried out this summer. And then and then recently, just this morning, I was trying out, you know, this larger with this larger context window. Uh, signed up for Anthropic and uh, was playing around with it. Regarding hallucinations, do you do you feel like you get a lot of hallucinations? I feel like everybody talks about this, but I'm thinking I maybe get like one out of 50 queries, at least that I notice that might be a hallucination. You know, I I don't get a lot of hallucinations. I, I think one of the more interesting hallucinations I've seen 
I was playing around with generating like just kind of like introductory letters to to companies and stuff like that, just temp- templatizing some certain things. And I, I noticed that if I was using the same context window, so I wasn't refreshing, sometimes it would start to hallucinate within its own context. So it'd be like, oh, hey, I'm reaching out to you to talk about this. I have experience working at such and such a place. And then it would start saying, I have experience working at a place that I was reaching out to. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I think I think that's one area that users have to be conscientious is, is obviously proofread. But the, the part where I'm more concerned about is really technical jargon and things like that. So before we started recording, I was talking about working on some projects in the healthcare space using AI. And obviously, if you get something wrong or have a hallucination in the healthcare space, <laughs> the, the downside is a lot worse than if you're just generating cat gifts. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've never worked on anything, you know, serious like that, but, but I think all programmers heard, heard about, you know, there was like a laser beam that would maybe do eye corrective surgery and, and there was an error in the software. And I, you know, I think it was like blinding at least one person and, you know, never worked on anything like that, but yeah, the stress has to be high, you know, or spaceship or, you know, spaceships, rockets, that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, a- anything where, <laughs> where lives are at stake, I, I think that's really where you're going to have really a zero tolerance policy or at least a, a low tolerance. I mean, here, here's here's the thing. Using ChatGPT for everyone I've talked to in the healthcare space in that I'm working in, like I, I've been asking them to use it and so far zero hallucinations. So I, I think it's really finding a good set of users that are able to kind of throw a lot of content that could be tricky and then really figuring out I guess red teaming it in a way is is one way to think of it. Yeah, yeah. And for those who don't know, what would you say, what would you, what would you say red teaming is for people who aren't familiar with that term? Yeah. So I guess this isn't really how red teaming would be used, but in a traditional context, red team red teaming is is kind of the concept of having an aggressor or a group of people acting as a nefarious or bad party. So if you're working at in the context of cybersecurity, you would have a team pretending to be the Russians, <laughs> trying to hack <laughs> your systems, find vulnerabilities. So in this context of using ChatGPT or Anthropic, it's you ha- you'd have a red team trying to uh, find hallucinations or find bugs in the software effectively. No, thanks for explaining that. And between Claude and, and the, I think you've just started playing with that more, and I think you have more experience with, with OpenAI, ChatGPT. What are, what are you finding, you know, the differences between the two? The tooling is a little bit different. There's not a ton different that I've noticed in the output so far. I mean, they're both pretty reliable with what they're exporting. I really have to figure out ways to test it better and really push it to its limits. I, I think that's, we're getting to the point now where these LLMs have gotten so good that we got to really find where they're going to start breaking because it, it's fooling a lot of people with good and with bad content. <laughs> I was testing out an open source model, Zephyr. And just like you're saying, I'm like, you know, asking a couple of questions and I'm like, you know, it seems good, but how do I really know, you know, if it's, if it's the one I want to use. So I went into ChatGPT4 and I said, Hey, I'm testing out this new model. You know, I, I want to know if it's good. Give me a, give me a question that I can test it with. 
So it comes up with a, a really long question. It's like, you know, talk about like the Ukraine war and I can't remember some other macroeconomic events. And, and then, so it's, it's got like a paragraph of question preface setting the context. And then the final question is, you know, how, how does this impact like a small business or a startup? So I don't even think I read the whole question. I'm just like, oh man, that's, that's a, that seems like a good question. And I pop it into, you know, into Zephyr. Then it pops out, you know, some like four or five paragraph answer. I'm like, oh my gosh. So then I just pop that back into ChatGPT and I'm like, here's what it says. What do you think? And it's like, yeah, yeah, did a good job. But, <laughs> but, but you're right on where, yeah, they're, they're, it's, it's like, how do you tell, you know, what's better, you know, between Claude, between ChatGPT? I think there's a new one from China that just released that's supposed to be really good with huge context windows. There's actually a, a tweet I saw where somebody was doing some really interesting testing. I, th I think the context window on that one is, is 200K tokens. And, and so they took Paul Graham's essays. He's, he's a well-known startup a guy. He pretty much <laughs> from Y Combinator, he was the founder of Y Combinator, but they, they took all his essays, which are public and, and, and that's huge. And then they inserted, you know, with code, they could pick where they were inserting a particular phrase and then they plug it into this AI and then ask about that phrase. And they noticed like at the beginning of the stream of words, their inserted token that it would like always find it. And then if it was in like the bottom 50% of the tokens, then it like did a good job finding it. But I thought that was really interesting where they were thinking, you know, how can we really push this thing to the limits and, and see how well it works? And, you know, so I, I do look at on Hugging Face and some of these other leaderboards to see, you know, how are things ranking? But I think it's really hard to get a, get a sense of it. There, there's also an interesting one that has like almost like a spider web kind of thing that has different categories like reasoning and writing and, and math. So you can even see on like individual components you know, how are particular LLMs performing? Yeah. And I think that's one of the trends that we're seeing too, is that a lot of these LLM, LLMs are, are being specialized to excel in certain categories. I know legal is one of those where they're trying to optimize for you know accuracy and lack of hallucinations when it comes to legal definitions and examples. And I know there's already been some news reporting that people have that stuff into ChatGPT and then tried to use it in legal brief and it was referencing non-existent cases. So I, I, I definitely think that the future, at least in the near term, is going. we're going to see a lot more of these LLMs focused on certain areas. Let's rewind for a second. Can you explain to listeners what tokens are? What tokens are? Probably the easiest way to think about it, although it's slightly inaccurate, is you know almost thinking of a word as a, as a token. You know, both on the input and the output. So if you if you put a sentence in there and it's got 10 words, you could kind of think of it as like 10 tokens going into the LLM. In actuality, I think on GPT, I think it's four characters as a token. I think something like that. I can't remember exactly. And, and I know they've got a tool too to like count up your, you know, your tokens in a, you know, in a prompt that you put in there. Yeah. And then so, also the, the fees to work on, on tokens. Exactly. To like per token. All right. Do we want to maybe talk about some other hardware stuff that's sure. come what, up in the last week? Uh, so out of left field, Humane AI unveiled a piece of wearable tech. It's this device that you can clip on to your shirt, I guess, or your jacket, and it allows you to interact with it without needing your phone at all. And so it, it Kind of, there's a, they have their own server backing it. It's AI powered. It can record, it can play back. It can do a whole 
plethora of things. It it, it, it was not on my radar at all. It totally <laughs> caught me by surprise. And the unveiling video was a little left to be desired. It just kind of, I, I feel like it fell flat, especially with all the open AI news. It just kind of, the unveiling got buried in a lot of ways. What's your take on on this new device? Before we get into my take, what, what, what's your what's your first first thought? My first thought is it can pretty much it can do a lot of things that my phone can do without needing my phone, but I don't see myself using this device. Like it can do auto translate. Well, there's a Google app for that. Yeah, it can take a picture of a handful of nuts and tell me how much protein is in it. I suppose there's an app for that too. I, I think what they're really trying to capitalize on is uh, the user experience and not having to go back to your phone for everything. But at $700 and another $24 a month, like it's that's a steep price for not replacing an existing piece of tech that I use almost constantly throughout the day. <laughs> I think you're right on the, I think these version ones are not going to be very good. That's an interesting price point. So I actually bought one of these, or I guess I should say I pre-ordered one of, not this particular device, but a different one from, from Rewind. It's, it's a pendant. And this guy, Jason Calacanis, he's a, he's a well-known venture capitalist, early stage angel investor. He tweeted out, he's like, this is insane. People are going to wear a device that's recording 24-7. Doesn't everybody remember what happened with Google Glass? This is like, you know, immoral, horrible, blah, blah, blah. And, and it's like 60 bucks. So I was like, oh, yep. I'm, uh, <laughs> let me, uh, <laughs> me pre-order that thing. And so I've actually got their, their desktop app and their mobile app. And so what Rewind does on my, on my desktop and my mobile is it will record. It's actually not on my mobile, but on my desktop when it's running, it records everything records every word that's spoken, every piece of text it sees on screen. And then it's like having perfect memory where you can ask it anything. You know, I could ask it like what, you know, it's not running right now, but I could ask it, you know, what did I talk with Eric Westland about today? Or summarize my conversation with Eric Westland or introduce Eric Westland to Julie Holton. Cause it knows like who my partner is and it knows who you are um, because I've looked at your LinkedIn profile and it saw that on the screen. And, and it's really amazing. The, the phone app, I haven't had so much luck with, but, you know, the idea would be like I would, you know, be in a meeting or something and, you know, hit the record button and then same thing, you know, perfect memory while it's transcribing that. So this pendant, you know, when I'm wearing it around, my hope is that I'll have perfect memory. There's so many times where, you know, I have a great idea or I have a conversation with somebody and I can't remember it. Another use case is that I like to do walks with people. And when I meet with people, instead of, you know, just sitting in a coffee shop or something like that, I like to walk around with them. But then the problem is, I don't have anything to write with and, you know, I'll forget uh, a lot of what we said. And so I'm hoping with this pendant, it'll be able to, you know, just record all of that. And I can say, Hey, you know, summarize it, pull out any action items. But a lot of people think it's crazy because of the privacy issues. And they remember the Google glass and, and uh, there was these glasses that people would wear. And I think I had maybe a red light when it was recording. I can't remember if it did or not. But, you know, people didn't want to be photographed, video recorded, sound recorded, you know, without signing waivers. And it feels like a big violation of privacy for a lot of people, I think. Yeah, I listened to that episode and I resonated a lot with what Jason was saying. I think there are definitely some privacy concerns, but the folks at Rewind, that's not that's not their goal. They're, they're trying to create something that's socially acceptable. We'll see how it's how the market kind of treats it. I think that it's especially as a, a first version, I think this and also the the humane AI 
device, their first iterations. And I think you just watch how the use of cell phones has proliferated and how everywhere you go, you can just pull up footage from Snapchat or Instagram or TikTok and everything's being recorded anyway right now. I, I think we're going to move past the social stigma of being recorded. That's that's my take. And and it might be it might be one that most people don't agree with. <laughs> but I definitely see, especially in the context of what you're talking about is recording these meetings. And if you're going for a walk with someone and being able to generate action items, like I, I hate being a note taker in, in a lot of meetings. Like I, I like to focus on on thinking and, and speaking and not jotting things down. So I, I, I definitely see a, a purpose and a use for it. I think you're right on. I think the utility of these things is just going to outweigh, you know, the concerns about it. And there's always concerns with new technology, you know, with AI, with crypto, with cars, with phones, any, any powerful technology, you know, there's positives, positives and negatives. Actually, one of the first things I tried to make with ChatGPT when they launched their, their image Dolly integration, and you could have the, the words on there. I wanted to make like a, a human body and show all the extensions that we're having on it right now. Like, you know, I've got this, this ring right here is recording, you know, my heart rate and, and breathing and, and sleep. And, you know, there's the, the band, you know, there's the Google glasses, there's these pendants coming. And so like, we're, you know, we're becoming, uh, is it cyborgs? Is that where it's like a human and machine, <laughs> you know? And, and so I want to yes. have, you know, the chart of like all the stuff that you can like bolt in right now to, you know, metrics you and help you. And, and I just can't wait, you know, for like some contacts where you can be looking at somebody in a meeting and it's, you know, pulling up their LinkedIn profile and, and, and you know, all of that. We're going to get there. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe the apples, what is it? Len, whatever their thing is, what's their thing? Lens or something. Maybe that's kind of the first version of it. Well, it's the Microsoft HoloLens and then oh, yeah. it's the Apple Vision Pro, I think. Apple Vision Pro. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Which was that coming early next year for an obscene amount of money. <laughs> yeah, I think it's like three, like 3,000 or something like that. And I don't know if it'll be so good because yeah, maybe it looks for like entertainment right now. But yeah, I want the thing where you can like walk around, you know, and be in the meetings and, and not have it look like you got a space helmet on. I mean, now that we're getting into speculative territory, Apple has really been quiet when it's come to AI-related tech. And I mean, every MacBook now in the last few years effectively has the hardware to support any sort of AI processing already built into it. I mean, sure, there are tons of apps that are being built that are leveraging this capability, but it's it's only a matter of time before Apple, I feel, really kind of comes out swinging. Do you have any what? any thoughts on what what they could, could be cooking? Yeah, well, I was just actually thinking about Apple specifically. You know, with the Sam Altman thing. You know, what a coup it would have been for them to grab Sam Altman and all these other people. I mean, gosh, would that have even been worth, uh, you know, four or five billion? I think I think Apple's got like a three trillion market cap. And Eric, when this stuff gets, when AI gets built into the operating system, it's going to be amazing. Uh, I think Microsoft's doing it, but probably not doing it well yet. Although I don't, I don't have a Microsoft, but I've heard their Copilot isn't great in the operating system. But it's actually at like next week, I'm getting together with having a little happy hour thing. So I want to invite, you know, 40 or 60 people. So, you know, I kind of do the copy paste thing and I'm messaging them out. But, you know, it'd be amazing if, you know, on my phone, well, I actually I'm doing it on my desktop because I'm not going to do that on my phone. But, you know, if on my phone, I could have just been like, hey, here's the kind of people I want to invite, you know, send them out, you know, a text message for some people, a LinkedIn message for other people. You, I th that's coming, I think. And, and it's going to be amazing where it'll be like your own, you know, VA, your own executive assistant that can do, you know, massive tasks where you tell it at a high level, 
I want this. And it just, you know, goes and does it. I, I think you're really calling out where they're going to go with it. Cause one of the coolest things about the operating systems that they announced a few years ago was continuity and that ability to move seamlessly from your phone to your tablet, to your computer, like having text messaging everywhere, the ability to share files and kind of navigate seamlessly across apps as well. And I, I think just having that, like, cause Microsoft doesn't have that. If you want to use Microsoft on your iOS device or on your Android device, you have to download each of these individual apps and they don't have root access to the operating system of the phone. Sure, there's all sorts of APIs and stuff that they can leverage, but Apple's got access to the silicon all the way up to the user. And I, I think with the hardware that they have, you, I think you nailed it, that they're, they're really going to look at the way users are using their devices and their apps and and kind of leverage that to guide their roadmap. And it's going to be, it may not be huge mind-blowing things like ChatGPT, but <laughs> it, it's going to be the stuff that we end up using every day. Yeah. How about you? What are some of your prognostications for the future? What do you see coming? Oh, man. I, I think GPT-5, if, if we're getting kind of really into the future, I think GPT-5, when it comes out next year, will have the same level of influence or importance that we saw from 3.5 to 4. I, I don't want to, like, part of me wants to say more, but at the same time, I don't think the wider populace is going to know how to leverage it in such a way right off the bat. It's going to come out. It's going to be seen as an incremental improvement, but it's going to take us about six months to really figure out how these newer, more advanced LLMs that have billions or trillions upon trillions of parameters can really impact our day-to-day -day workflows beyond what GTP, GPT-4 is doing. That's kind of my speculation, but I think it, 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 in the same way that we didn't know how the internet was going to have an impact on our day-to-day, -day, I, I think, I think that's where it is. I also believe the cost of using these models is going to continue to drop dramatic, uh, dramatically, dramatically. <laughs> I mean, even with last week's announcements with at the OpenAI Dev Day, I mean, with them slashing their prices, and it, it's going to be a race to the bottom. Uh, and then NVIDIA, they're just going to keep out outputting more powerful silicon, and yeah, it, it's it's going to it's going to be widespread. I think the other interesting thing that we haven't accounted for is is China in all of this. And we had some some new models come out. I haven't played with them yet, but allegedly they're they're pretty good. So they're not they're not resting on their laurels and just kind of letting the US take the cake. Even though they're at a significant disadvantage because of the chip embargoes, they're still they're still doing everything they can, I think, to to catch up in the space. Yeah, well, and you know, who is that? Was it Jack Ma who they, oh, he was like the CEO of one of their huge companies, Alibaba, I think. And 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 he said some anti-party things a couple of years ago. And then he was like out of his company and like disappeared, which I think in the US would be like the equivalent of us, you know, grabbing an Elon Musk or something after he said something bad about the government and then uh, having him out of the public site for a couple of years and not, and not managing his company. But I think the chilling effect, you, you know, if you're going to, you know, build something amazing in this world, 
I definitely not want to do it in, in a place that, that could, you know, arrest me if I, if I fly too close to the sun. Yeah, uh, that is very, very true. <laughs> Conversely, some new legislation or the, uh, some hasn't gone through yet, but some of the, the talking points or some of the terminology being used in Congress right now to describe AI and kind of the way they want to restrict it or regulate it. There's, there's a lot of language that really could be applied to almost every software service on the planet. So I, I feel like Congress is, is not doing a great job right now in the way they're approaching things, but I, I think we should save that maybe for a yeah. future episode when we've had a little bit more time to dig into what's happening there. I think we got to wrap up. Um, this has been awesome. Thanks for taking the time, David. Any closing thoughts? Erica, I, I love it. And I'm excited to see, you know, what you do, you know, with your products, with your consultancy and, and so awesome. You're riding this AI wave. It's a super exciting time to be a part of it. All right. Thank you for tuning in. Like, subscribe everywhere you possibly can. Give us a five-star rating if you want to keep hearing more of this. This has been Neural Net News. You can find it everywhere you can find podcast-related stuff and on X at N3 Weekly. Thanks for tuning in.